30 okay, seconds. Okay, I think away. we're I think we're online. All right, great. Welcome everybody. I'm enjoying sitting here talking to my friends, uh, Dr. Scott Winnell, Mr. Peter Nathan, and we've been chatting about today's uh, show. So welcome to the show. We've we've uh, been having a lively conversation already. Uh, so hopefully we can continue on with that conversation, share some thoughts with you all. Uh, I do want to remind everybody to share the, uh, the, the Facebook live stream with your friends if you wouldn't mind doing that, helping us out. Uh, we want people to know that we're streaming live. Uh, I also want to mention last week's show, uh, we talked about dysfunctional government and a lot of the problems happening with the, uh, the government around the world, uh, especially also in the United States. And it was very sad. I know many of you saw um, the report of the representative, the congressman. I think his name is pronounced uh, Scalise, who was shot and just terrible and uh, just a, a, a terrible uh, crime. And uh, so we didn't talk about uh, that last week, of course, but we talked about uh, just really some of the problems that are affecting the United States and, and our government. And um, just that, that was a terrible uh, tragedy, what, what happened. Um, and uh, you may want to check out last week's show for some more insight about, uh, about governance and, and can man solve his own governmental problems. Uh, today's show is about the European Union, uh, prophecy, uh, what, we, what the Bible refers to as the coming beast power, things of that nature. And so I'm really uh, excited to talk about that and have Mr. Nathan and, and um, uh, Dr. Scott here on the, uh, the program. First question, we want to talk about Brexit. And will the Brexit, assuming Brexit happens, which is what we were just talking about, uh, how will Brexit affect the future of the European Union? So let's just start with that, get some thoughts, and I've got some other follow-on questions. Mr. Nathan, you want to go first? I, it's going to have a profound effect, and the profound effect will happen irrespective of whether Britain ever gets to a Brexit or, as Macron suggested, well, you could still come back. As one of the EU commissioners mentioned, if you come back, you will have to be like Alice in Wonderland, where you'll have to go through a very tiny door and come out the other side a very changed individual. Since Britain's been in the common market, has always been trying to influence and steer the common market and then the European Union. And of course, Germany, France, and the Europeans, especially the Federalists in Europe, do not want to see Britain have that power anymore. So this is going to strengthen the hands of the Federalists. Histori I know, Dr. Scott, you want to make some, some comments as well. I was, I was going to add quickly, historically, Britain's been always sort of a balance. Britain and France have balanced each other out and have balanced out Europe. And and uh, so we're seeing uh, the balance is starting to mm -hmm. become imbalanced. Dr. Scott? Yeah, it was interesting you used the term balance. I would say that may be our perspective. I wonder if our, our friends in Europe look at it that way. I wonder if they see, it, see Britain more historically as a parking brake, mm -hmm. who's mm -hmm. been preventing that move forward. Britain has historically been involved in trying to prevent a uh, monetary union, pr trying to prevent a federalization of Europe, trying to prevent a military union. It's interesting that as they uh, announced their Brexit, within days, the Europeans were talking about a European military. Uh, so it's the parking brake almost is released and Europe is moving forward and rolling forward because Britain is not there to hold it back anymore, which mm -hmm. is which in interesting. And that's something we've been talking about for a long time. We've, I've mentioned that on other shows, and we've discussed uh, that before. But really good uh, 2012 article 
by Mr. Rod King, where he uh, talked about, I think the title is, Will Britain Leave the e European Union? And we've been talking about this in the church, in, in, in God's church, in this work for, for many, many years. Um, I think you're right. I think this, a lot of the Europeans have seen Britain as a, frust as a frustrating uh, parking brake. Uh, whereas from a Western perspective and a, an American and a British perspective, sometimes we've seen them as a, as a balance, keeping you know, Germany in check, or if you go back further, centuries prior, other empires in check. Um, so will Britain leave the European Union at some point? You know, we're, we're, we didn't really speculate or uh, too much about that yet. Uh, will, will, will Britain actually end up leaving? I think that's an inevitability at this point in time, given the status quo, because the government is committed to Brexit. Of course, the Queen's speech will be next Wednesday, and I'm sure the aspect or some aspect of Brexit will be probably the very first item in the Queen's speech. And of course, the Queen's speech, when she addresses the Houses of Parliament from the House of Lords, sets out the program of the government for the ensuing year. So I'm sure Brexit will be one of the first items on the Queen's speech. How it works out is obviously anybody's guess at this point, because uh, Theresa May has really had her wings clipped. And whereas she had hoped to get a lot of new uh, members of parliament on side with her, she's actually now got less. It's interesting. We we hypothesize. We 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 say with actually a, a pretty decent degree of certainty that yes, Britain in one way or another is going to leave Europe. How do we say that? It's interesting that for decades we have been talking about these very things, and we've been basing it on scripture. How do we know that? You know, it's interesting that the concept that we talk about in this booklet. Uh, the United States and Great Britain in prophecy is really profound in understanding these end-time Bible prophecies, the understanding of who the Israelite descended nations are in the modern world. And when we understand who those nations are today, Britain being one of those Israelite descended nations, we're able to then go into the scriptures that prophetically talk about these nations and what's going to happen to them. And we see that Britain and other Is Israelite descended nations are going to be separate from the European beast power at some point and actually taken into some type of captivity, which gives us a, a good degree of certainty of what's going to happen. But without that key of who the Israelite descended nations are today, we would have no idea what to do with those scriptures. When you, you know, the Bible reveals what ultimately is going to happen regarding many things. Uh, you know, we know that Jesus Christ will return. That's going to happen. Uh, one of the things the Bible reveals is that there will be a, a European beast power. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. And uh, if you understand, as you, as you were saying, uh, Dr. Scott, if you understand the, you know, who the different nations are from a biblical point of view, then you can say with certainty that Britain will not be part of those, that, those final kings that give their authority to the beast. And so we have said that for years. I know that uh, in that um, article by Mr. King, he made, you know, very strongly said that. The, the booklet says that. And as we've mentioned before, Mr. Weston and others, it's not that we, uh, you know, are extra smart. It's just that God has revealed to his church the identity of who these different nations are from a biblical point of view. You mentioned Israelitish nations. A lot of our viewers understand what you mean by that, but some 
won't. So let me put you on the spot real quickly, and this is easy to do for, for you or me or Mr. Nathan, but you know, what, what does Israelitish nations mean today from a 2017 perspective? It's a really good question. And again, I would, if you haven't read the booklet, I encourage you to log on, download it, call for it, whatever you want to do. It'll give you some of that insight. We're really talking about the, the Western European nations, many of them, uh, the English-speaking nations uh, around the world, the United States, um, Canada, uh, Australia, New Zealand, some of the other nations that fit into these categories. What's really fascinating, and we actually, through Living University, offer a course that, that studies this content in much more detail, we can actually trace the migrations of the Israelites from ancient, um, the ancient Holy Land through Europe. And we can do that genetically and through other tools. So we have a pretty good idea of who these nations are today. And it's, you know, we, we don't want to get bogged down on this particular question. I, I want to make one comment. You, you guys mm -hmm. may want to make a, another comment as well. Um, there is a lot of um, cynicism out there, you know, um, on the Internet that people will say, oh, that's just stuff that was made up 50 years ago or 100 years ago. That is ridiculous. That, 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 that claim is ridiculous. The Scots, their declaration, their national declaration of, of, of independence discusses them being, uh, you know, Israelite descendants. Uh, the kings and queens of England trace their lineage back to, to Israel. Uh, many of the founding fathers believed that we were descendants of Israel. So one of the sad things is today we live in this, this environment where we, in the school districts, we don't really teach history. We don't teach, you know, the classics. And, um, and we've, we've, so many, when I say we, in Western civilization, we've lost our identity. And ironically, in the Middle East, in the Middle East, they know who they're descended from, from a biblical perspective. They know it. Their royal households know it. They talk about it. And they know that they come from those princes that, that were from, uh, from Esau and from Ishmael. And they know these things. But here in the United States, we, oh, that's just, uh, you know, can't be true. So that is the key, one of the biggest keys to Bible prophecy, which you just were talking about. Genetics indicates it. History indicates it. There, there's many uh, proofs. Do you want to add anything? Uh, you mentioned the Scots and so forth. Um, King Arthur is an interesting situation uh, and, and so forth. But one of the interesting discoveries of the past few years has been the translation of some of the Hebrew commentaries of Scripture that were written in the 11th, 12th centuries. They're written in Hebrew. Of course, it's only the past uh, 33 decades or so that they have been translated into other languages. You had rabbis in the uh, 13th century talking about the lost tribes of Israel being in Northwestern Europe. Mr. King, Rod King, did a series of telecasts a few years ago on where did the 12 apostles go. And in tracing where they traveled after the death of Jesus Christ, uh, he, he traced them up into a number of the apostles up into uh, Western Europe and Britain as well. You know, you bringing up the uh, the lost uh, tribes, and now we're really off of our of our script. But um, uh, the lost tribes, you know, they're, they're not lost. No, they're not lost. No. God sifted them. Uh, prophecy says they'd be sifted, and 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 they're they're still around. Uh, God told Abraham that He would bless his descendants; mm -hmm. they'd be as the sand of the seashore and the stars of the heaven. And you know, they're not lost. And so when we talk about Israelitish nations um, in in the context of prophecy, I mean, we I think our viewers, if if they haven't proven 
some of this. Like Scott was saying, uh, you know, read the booklet, look, look into it yourself. Something came out just today. Did you all, I just saw it on the news, um, where uh, there was a study done on the DNA of some preserved mummies. I don't know if you saw that. And uh, they, they, they were able to reconstruct what uh, the mum, what the the pharaohs, or not the pharaohs, but what the Egyptians looked like back in the in the BC times, and it was interesting because a lot of us know the story of of Moses and the Hebrews and the Israelites, and some people say, well, that can't be true because the Bible says that Moses was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and so forth, and 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 they, you know how could that be? They didn't look they didn't look the same, right? That that's one of these these uh, these arguments. Well, just today I was reading how. They were able to reconstruct the, the DNA from three mummies, and they were able to reconstruct how they, the, the, the ancient Egyptians would look. And guess what they look like? Palestinians. They looked mm -hmm. like they were from Palestine. They looked like they were from you know, the same area that Abraham would have been from. So why do I bring that up? We, we're talking about Israel being sifted. Israel was taken captive. In Egypt, just like the Bible says, Israel was then you know, freed by God, just like the Bible says. Israel then had their kingdoms and then went into captivity, but God never forgot who Israel was, and mm -hmm. they were sifted, and they've ended up in these countries we know today as the United States, mm -hmm. Canada, Australia, England, France. Mm -hmm. Yep. So just uh, amazing stuff. Uh, let, let's, let's move on. Um, Brexit as the last hurdle in the establishment of a European army a meaningful European army, a powerful European army. Uh, there's a lot of scriptures um, that we could turn to, but thoughts on that? Yeah, well, there has been an element in Europe uh, since 1948. The Western European Union was an attempt by Britain and France and the Benelux countries to create a common force, uh, dating back, you might say, to the same time as the foundation of NATO. That Union has now been subsumed into the European Union. So as of 2010, 2011, the Western European Union ceased to exist. It became a function of the European Union. So they already have the foundation for a European army uh, within the European Union. And they're building that army. As I mentioned, um, Days after the Brexit was announced, Germany and France came out and they said, we've got to move forward with this. Angela Merkel has recently stated for the record that they need to move forward with the European army. I've got an article right here from Foreign Affairs dated May 22nd. Germany is quietly building a European army under its command and actually doing so unbeknownst to a lot of the European nations. They're, they're pulling in the Czech Republic and Romania, they're doing joint exercises, and of course Germany is in charge of this, but they're sharing resources and sharing a focus. So the, the ball is rolling with this idea. Um, Juncker, the European Commission president, has really been pushing this idea mm -hmm. of a European army, trying to create a funding stream to be able to make this possible. And what's really interesting and ironic is that our own president, Donald Trump, while he was in Europe recently, is pushing the Europeans, you've got to put more money into building your own army, which has really ruffled the feathers of some political historians who remember very vividly that it's only in the last 70 or 80, 90 years, 100 years, uh, that the Germans used an army twice in Europe. And in addition to President Trump, 
which I think most of our viewers have, have seen that on the news, how he, you know, he's not mm -hmm. endorsing and supporting NATO as much, and he's telling the Europeans they need to pay for their own army. What else do we have? What's happening with Macron, the new French uh, president? He's, he's, he's very pro-EU and very, mm -hmm. you know, he wants to partner up with Germany. Mm -hmm. And so you, you see a lot of different um, forces that are coming together, which we're going to talk about more in the show, that are, are, are forcing uh, Europe to come together with, with their army. And who's going to lead that army? Who's right. going to lead that army? Uh, Germany's being pushed in. Let me read a quick uh, excerpt from an article. European Union details its deeper integration once common finance minister and bundled Eurozone debt. Now, you, you might wonder, well, why am I reading this? We're talking about the army. Well, what, what, what builds armies? Money. Money. You know? so, so here we have a long article, real good article, but I want to uh, – and here's, here's the little picture on it. Uh, you've got um, Merkel and M Macron shaking hands and being And friendly smiling. And smiling, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is great. You know, we want people to, to be friendly, but, but um, what's going on behind the scenes? Uh, the newly elected and pro-European French President Emmanuel Macron – met Chancellor Angela Merkel of Germany in Berlin in mid-May. At the time, they both said they wanted to move further with Eurozone integration. Quote, uh, this is from uh, Merkel. There is a common conviction that we cannot only deal with Britain's exit from the EU, but instead we must think we must all think about how we can deepen the existing European Union and especially the Eurozone. So my, my point is here we have Germany uh, acknowledging Britain exiting, but Germany and France are saying, well, if anything, this should accelerate us becoming more tightly mm -hmm. coupled. How do we see that playing into maybe a, a German-led army, a German-led military? How, can we talk about that for a moment, you know, the, the, the French angle here? Well, the French angle, obviously Germany is going to be the powerhouse that uh, funds this army. Uh, because it is the principal engine driving Europe. So very much it's going to be part and parcel of that. Uh, we already have the situation where the Netherlands is using German armaments, uh, interchangeable with the Germans. So you might say you have a brigade of uh, Dutch troops using German tanks, and uh, there is no sense of identity as to who owns them. These are joint. Yeah, France is a, a highly, from a European perspective, a highly militarized nation compared to the rest of the Europeans. Mm -hmm. uh, they've put a significant amount of money, again, in comparison, into their military. Um, they're in, in the process in the next 10 years or so. By 2030, for example, their United States US F-16s that they're flying are going to become obsolete. And so the question becomes, okay, what do we do with this? Airbus has put some new proposals forward in Europe to create some new uh, military fighters. And Juncker, again, the, the commission, European Commission president is saying, we need to go European, number one. We don't want to rely on the U.S. We don't want their technology. We want European technology. But we've got hundreds of military uh, weapons that don't align across our nations. We really need to homogenize and have the same type of tools 
that are interchangeable among our nations. And so the Netherlands and the Germans are an example of this. Um, France, as a military power, can help push this, but they're going to have to align with uh, the, the, the EU standards going forward. And, and align when it's, uh, in a, from a military perspective, uh, also is just another way of saying, um, come under the authority of. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we see all these, these articles about, here's one from the Daily Mail, uh, and it, it mentions France and Germany prepare the creation of an EU army after Brexit talks. Uh, member states will pay for joint military projects um, in move that Britain had blocked. Right. So, so you know, right there we see Britain's exit actually accelerating and in some ways strengthening the the potential of a European uh, army. And the one bullet, more bullet point from this article, it, it, it mentions um, that the the Franco-German efforts uh, are to create a more integrated European defense. So there again, Franco-German. We see France. Now, is France going to lead? The, the 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 final European military superpower. Let me ask you that question. If so, yes. If if why no? It certainly has had a lot more uh, involvement in military exercises around the world than Germany has at this point. And the French military has been relatively successful in what it has done in terms of overseas conflicts. Uh, so certainly it has, it has an experience factor that the Germans don't have. On the other hand, we have to realize that over the last decade or so, the Europeans have been much more involved in uh, military exercises around the world since the beginning of the 21st century, uh, the Germans and so forth. So all of the European states, while they're not involved in military exercises within the, the European continent, have been very active outside of that area. They're getting, and getting as training. They, that's right, they've been getting training. So uh, clearly the, 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 the Bible gives the idea of the nations giving their allegiance to one power. Uh, the second last verse of Revelation chapter 17. There's a spirit there that wants to have them working together in union, in unison and so forth. So the idea that one nation is going to lead it as opposed to another nation is perhaps the wrong idea. Maybe we ought to look at the superpower who is actually going to lead it. Yeah, it's interesting. We have to look back too to the history of the Europeans, if you can say that, who have been the dominant leading powers uh, for not decades, but centuries in Europe. And when we look to that, and we look even today, if you, if you look at the geopolitics of what's happening, you look at the, the uh, political historians and what they're writing about, they're talking about, watch Germany. Look at Germany. Germany is going to lead in, in what's happening. Merkel's been doing her world tour for the last couple of months, meeting people, shaking hands, speaking on behalf of the Europeans. Uh, not only not drumming up business necessarily, but making those connections as the U.S. pulls out and creates a power vacuum. Mm -hmm. Who's stepping into that? Well, you get China on one side, but they're really not looking to lead. They're looking for monetary things. But from the European side, Germany is the one who is at the head, and, and Germany is the one that Europe seems to be looking to. Historically, you know, we, we've talked about these different uh, resurrections of what's been called the Holy Roman Empire. And if you go down through history, um, it's, uh, there, there's been leadership in Europe that has bubbled up at multiple times over the centuries. 
and uh, you know, occasionally it'd be France. Sometimes the Dutch had their 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 authority. Of course, Napoleon. You know, but you know, go through the the different revivals of the Holy Roman Empire on our website, and you see that Europe has often been led by a military power that also is allied with a religious mm -hmm. authority, a religious power. Mm -hmm. And the Bible prophesies that at the time of the end, of course, we're going to see that again. And that's what this, you know, the beast of revelation mm -hmm. is all about. Uh, Dr. Scott, did you want to add? Well, I was just going to mention that, you know, Jesus Christ himself, as he talks about watching Jerusalem at the end of the age, he talks about keeping an eye on Jerusalem. He talks about it being surrounded by armies. And he says it's going to be surrounded by armies until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Well, what are Gentiles? They're not Israelites. Israelites are not Gentiles. And so we get the implication or the, the indication from the scripture that this uh, European beast-led power, uh, this one who takes the power from all these other nations as Revelation 17 talks about, is probably not going to be an Israelite power. It's probably going to be a Gentile power, a, a power that doesn't have the historical Israelite descendants at the top. Um, uh, Daniel 11 talks about the king of the south pushing against the king of the north. And if you understand where those um, kings, those empires are in relation to Jerusalem, uh, which is the, the, mm -hmm. the center of, of the, the geographic reference there, then you've got a pretty clear indication that there will be some European uh, geographically oriented power that will rise at the end of the age. Mm -hmm. But you also get an indication that there's going to be something happening you know, in the Arab or the Muslim world. Mm -hmm. uh, do you want to maybe extend that conversation a little sure, bit? Sure, because I think the, the king of the south is fairly well identified because when he pushes up a king of the north and the king of the north comes against him, it tells us what nations are going to be under the control of a king of the north. Now, if Egypt and Libya and uh, so forth were not part of a king of the south, why would he need to be involved with them? Uh, clearly, he goes into those areas because they are part of uh, the king of the south. And uh, if you look at a map of the world of the present time of, say, the Sunni Muslim uh, populations and, and areas of control, you basically have a very strong Sunni Muslim band through North Africa, Egypt, into uh, Saudi Arabia, and so forth. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to see the relationship at the present time with this uh, development against Qatar. Mm -hmm. the, the Saudis, the Egyptians, the Bahrainis, and uh, United Emirates ganging up against Qatar, Sunni nations. And uh, are we seeing, are we even seeing President Trump sort of laying the foundations for an Arab coalition, a Sunni coalition, mm. that will be a feature of end-time prophecy? And what's interesting with that comment and that observation is who's uh, minister of, uh, uh, I don't want to say military minister, but defense minister right. from Europe was just down in Qatar trying to pour oil on troubled waters or, or water on troubled oil maybe in that area of the world but it, yes it was germany yes. who's down there trying to work their hand by the way i wanted to mention real quickly uh we we've got a telecast that mr rod mcnair did on four prophecies about germany 
which might be something to look up as well. Uh, mm -hmm. Very well done, but some really helpful insight into the future of Germany and what the scripture, what the Bible actually has to say about Germany's role in end time events. Um, let's move on. Uh, we've talked a little bit about uh, Brexit, about Germany's role. Um, I do want to, by the way, before I forget, say hello to some of those who have joined us on, on Facebook. We have a lot of people online. I always try to mention that. Uh, people from Wisconsin, also far away like Trinidad and Sri Lanka and uh, Tobago and, and all, all around. So hello to, to, to people from Virginia, California, uh, all around. We appreciate you all joining us. And uh, do, again, uh, share the, the, the Facebook stream with your friends. Let them know we're online. We're only going to go for a few more minutes, so uh, let them know we're online. Of course, I also want to remind everybody that we, we archive these uh, shows, and so you can watch them or listen to them later uh, as a podcast. So just a, a few reminders, housekeeping-type items there to remind people of. Um, <clears throat> we've talked a little bit about Germany and Europe, and, and I want to talk just briefly about this problem with the immigration we see in, in Europe. Just spend a minute on that. Uh, will the push of you know, extremist Islam ideology into Europe. What is kind of a big open-ended question? Where, where's that going to go? You know, are, are we going to solve it? Everybody's going to live happily ever after, and we're all <laughs> going to just, uh, you know. Well, when you when you look at what the Bible talks about the beast power, and you look at the way in which it tries to bring prosperity to the world. And you talk about the fall of Babylon, which is the, you might say, the epicenter of the beast power. It talks about the whole world lamenting the demise of Babylon and the merchants of the earth and so forth. But it also talks about the way in which the, this empire, you might say, if I can use that expression, has traded in the, the souls of men. In other words, human beings just become a commodity. And... Uh, is part of the immigration debate and, and the way in which it's being treated at the present time, the simple commodification of human beings, of human suffering. It's, it's interesting as we watch what's going on, we see how the uh, Arab immigration into Europe is becoming more and more divisive. It is dividing the European peoples. People are coming down very hard on one side or another of this debate. I've got an article here from The Guardian uh, from just a couple of days ago that says the EU takes action against eastern states for refusing to take refugees. So you're talking about Poland and Hungary and the Czech Republic who on paper agreed to help alleviate some of this stream of refugees who've really not held up their end of the bargain. And Europe is not happy. Hmm. Yet these nations are saying we don't want these people in our country. And so there's, there's this real divisive thing that's going on and it's going to be interesting to see how it spills over and how, the, the Europe, how Europe in general reacts to this. What are they going to do with this? Will this be something that spurns a split or something of that nature among the European nations? Is this one of those dividing points? Is it a dividing point? And also, is it a, something that's you know incendiary, I think? Because if you're uh, these, going back to the king of the north, king of the south, uh, if you're these southern nations and you see your people 
um, who are, it's Revelation 18 that Mr. Nathan was referring to, and it, and it talks about, you know, at the time of the very end, when the angel says Babylon is, is fallen, it's fallen, it's become a habitation of demons, and it, you know, it goes through a number of verses, and then down it says all the, the, the kings of the earth mourn and because they committed fornication with her. What's it talking about there? You know, it's talking about this system, which is a, a damnable system, really, where, where the, the bodies and souls of men are sold as, as slaves and commodities uh, by their, 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 their rulers, their nations, and by this Babylonian system, this end-time European system. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, God, uh, in Revelation 18, which is what you, you were bringing up, um, you know, that's one of the, the, the qualities that he, or attributes that he, 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 statements he makes about this system, that, um, you know, it's become a, a habitation of every evil thing, <laughs> but that the, um, the, the, they were trading in, in slaves. And so I, I really think, and this is my speculation, but I really think that, that, that we're seeing the beginning of some of that with these, 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 these migrants. You know, we all feel sorry for, for migrants. Yeah. I don't care if you're, you know, uh, whatever, Latin, Latin American or, 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 you know, Saudi Arabia, you know, whatever, whatever your nationality is, we don't want to see people suffering. And what you've got is, however, I mean, there's, there's right ways to deal with the problems, but these migrants going into Europe and they're causing trouble in a lot of situations. On the other hand, a lot of them are being, um, pawn, they're pawns, they're, they're, you know, they're of, of their, of their respective uh, rulers. And I think it's going to get to a point the Bible indicates where it'll be a lot worse. Mm -hmm. And well, an indication of that was on the BBC News today, where it was talking about the, the involvement of a mafia mm -hmm. in the trafficking of people from North Africa into Italy. Right. So, to a certain extent, this is already occurring, as you say. When you have the violence, obviously, that we're all aware of, uh, not all um, Muslims and not all Arabs in Europe are causing violent actions, but the press is picking up on this. More and more violent actions are occurring in the name of Allah uh, mm -hmm. against Europeans for various reasons. And, you know, I, Mr. Nathan and I were talking, and you, you watch a little child with an animal like a cat or a dog, and th these little kids can pull on the ears of these animals, and they can poke them, and they can pull their tails, and the animal will lay there for a while, and then it might start to grunt or groan or growl, and it will lay there, and it will take it, and it will take it, and then all of a sudden, the animal turns around, and it's had enough, and it turns around and attacks. And I wonder if we're going to see something like this in Europe. We're, there's, there's a boiling point that's coming. And the Europeans haven't done a lot about it. But attack after attack, how many of those can you take before you have to respond? Well, the internal cost of policing for this becomes overwhelming. So you've got to take another approach. And I think this is an interesting point in terms of the military. If we read Revelation, Revelation chapter 6 and chapter 7, clearly the European military takes very different approaches than those that we've been accustomed to mm. in our day and age. Mm. So you might say high-tech, uh, using different forms of weapons to be able to control large swaths of people. And of course, that changes the whole setup of the world. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to mention quick as well, we have this really helpful booklet on the Beast of Revelation. We keep referring to Revelation, Revelation 18 and 17 and 6 and 7. And this booklet actually gives some really helpful insight into what these chapters are all about and, and why we're talking like we're talking about the Bible, what it actually has to say about these end-time world events.
You know, let's keep going with this this topic for just another minute or two. I, I want to mention a scripture we all know, Matthew twenty four, where Jesus Christ. You know, this is Jesus Christ talking. This, this mm -hmm. is our Savior. This is the the God who created the universe, and He says that there's going to be nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And as we've taught and explained, uh, actually, it's talking about nations, but also ethnicities, mm -hmm. ethnicities. And we, I don't want to get off topic too much, but you know, in the United States, we have our problems that are increasing uh, between the different ethnicities and, and a lot of you know tension there. But in Europe, bringing it back to Europe and the King of the North, the King of the South, and, and the military and the military leadership in Germany going into more of a, of, a, of a leadership role and so forth, you have this tension. It's getting worse. It's not getting better. Mm -hmm. Where And I'm not, none of us are assigning blame. You know, mm -hmm. violence is wrong. God says, you know, you shall not mm -hmm. murder. Period. But Thou shalt love your neighbor. That's right. You shall love your neighbor yourself. Right. And then, by the way, Old Testament and New Testament. That's right. Yes. But in Europe, we see this boiling point was a term you used, and I think that none of us would be um, would feel like we were, you know, overreaching to say that it's going to get much, much worse. You may have a few months where it, it abates, but this Muslim and Islamic and Arabic versus European, you know, ethnically, historically European situation. Um, it's, it's getting worse. Throughout England, mm -hmm. we see Sharia law popping up in different areas. We see, on the other hand, we see in France and in Germany, right-wing violence ag against Muslims, which, which is also wrong. You know, and so how do, how, do, how do the nations deal with it? How do they police it? What are the economic... Um, realities. Mm -hmm. When you've got buildings on fire and people not working and, and a welfare system, what do you, you know, how do you deal with that? Mm -hmm. What has happened historically when you've had um, nations that have started to break down? What happens historically? Well, you mentioned Napoleon Bonaparte mm -hmm. as a case in point. Right. You end up with a strong man. A strong man who typically recruits a lot of young men mm -hmm. for his armies mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're in lower lower roles in those armies mm -hmm. and I, th I think we're uh, we're seeing europe heading heading that direction mm -hmm. yeah i think about we talk about this king of the north and king of the south and daniel 11 really is the chapter to take a look at as we see the struggle between these two powers at the end of the age what's interesting is what's the commonality between these two kings what is the valuable commodity mm -hmm. between these two kings? Well, it's sort of locked in between these two regions of the world, doesn't it? It's Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And this, this uh, pushing against each other is going to climax one day. And it's going to happen in that region of the world. And Jerusalem is going to be that focal point, according to the scripture. Well, the epicenter will be Jerusalem. Yes. Because that's where and he goes and places his tabernacle, as it said. Yes. So he sets his headquarters. Well, and let's talk about Jerusalem. <clears throat> let's talk about Jerusalem. Uh, will Jerusalem, will, will, will the European Union, uh, will the EU uh, help bring about one of these prophecies that we're, we're very familiar with, uh, where it talks about, you know, Jerusalem being surrounded and then Jerusalem being divided and half of the, half of the city taken taken captive and so forth. Let me, let me read a quick article before we get into that topic, and then we'll spend a few minutes. This is a, a, a very interesting article someone gave me today. Uh, the title is Europe, Fran Europe and France Plan Active Middle East Policy. Now, it's a pretty long article. But and the author is a pretty well-known Israeli... Uh, uh, Uri Sever, yeah. Uh, yes. 
he, he, I probably pronounce it right, but he's, I've read his, his articles before. Right. He's well-known, well-respected, not, yes. not a fringe guy. And um, I'll read a couple, couple of excerpts. Following the May 28th through 23rd Trump visit to the region, it is clear to Israel that the quartet framework of the EU, United States, United Nations, and Russia will not be renewed. Mm-hmm. Okay, so right there, you you have insight into that that Israel is going to have to look elsewhere for help, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, EU leadership in Brussels considers itself as part of the victorious side in these French elections and is planning to fortify a more independent European foreign policy in the weeks to come. Mm-hmm. Ah, what's that mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, independent. So not necessarily relying on the historic constructs. I want to give you men time to, to discuss, but I want to read one more statement before I turn it over to you guys. Uh, further down in the article, he writes this. The French president will also focus on upholding the Iran nuclear deal. Okay, fine. On the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, Macron aspires to engage with Israel and the Palestinian Authority, as well as with leaders of Egypt, Jordan, and Saudi Arabia on a two-state solution based on the 2002 Arab Peace Initiative and also opposing settlement expansions. Uh, if I can make a point, a couple of points. Firstly, French involvement in the Middle East is a given, uh, especially since de Gaulle. De Gaulle set out to uh, soften the, the French relationships with the Arab nations in the uh, time when he was president which brought about, you might say, a very anti-Israel approach in terms of the French. Uh, so the, the Israelis often refer to the, uh, the French government as being anti-Semitic, anti-Israel, etc., etc. So you've got a problem there. So the, the, there is a challenge there in terms of trust between France and Israel, or Israel and France more specifically. The second point I'd like to make is the Palestinians do not want a two-state solution. They want a single state called Palestine, period. Uh, And if they go along with it, it is simply a step towards the ultimate goal of a single state. But as you said, Jerusalem at some point has to be surrounded by armies. That's a given. And and that's... that's do you want to add to that? Because that, that's where I, I think we want to take this conversation. Jerusalem will be surrounded by armies. Why and whose armies and what's going to happen? So here's another article from Politico. Lost continent, Europe, rediscovers its mojo. Uh, talking about how Europe is, is not going to stay in the shadows anymore, but is coming into the limelight, which we've been speaking about. If we look at what's been going on in the relationship that's been going on between Germany and Israel. That's a very interesting one to watch. Even though Germany has been working hard to foster, to establish, and to improve a relationship with Israel. In fact, last week, Angela Merkel was in Argentina and speaking in Buenos Aires. To the Argentinian people, she took time out of that speech to address specifically the Jews that live in Argentina. Very political move in doing that. Um, Germany is maneuvering to have a hand in what goes on in Jerusalem, and they're working with the Israelis to make sure that it can happen. But to answer your question, 
clearly the armies that surround Jerusalem that are talked about in Matthew and, and the Olivet Pop prophecy and in Zechariah, etc., in the various prophecies, they clearly are the armies of a king of the north. And you've got that famous prophecy, Zechariah 14, 2, right. uh, that you know, you, you've got Jerusalem surrounded by armies, half of Jerusalem, half the city is taken into right. captivity. You know, how and why do we get there? Um, that, that's a long conversation, but I think that we, we, we've touched on it pretty, pretty well. Um, you've got a European power that wants to be more involved, wants to try to create and help establish peace and so forth. You've got this intractable Palestinian-Israeli or Palestinian-Jewish, you know, mm -hmm. problem. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and with the United States being pushed less and less, you know, being pushed away, part, less, they're less a part of the conversation, um, you, you're probably going to have more given to the Palestinians and you're going to have Israel being forced to accept a, a, a two-state solution. Uh, as you said, the Palestinians would like a one-state solution. But they're, and they're going to have a divided city. I and mean, that's what Zechariah 14 2 indicates. That's there right. will be a divided city, and half of that city will go into captivity, and half of them won't. We, we've theorized that, that literally the, the Jerusalem could be divided in half, and half is fully uh, you know, uh, governed by the Palestinians or by the beast power eventually, and the other half is not and ends up going into captivity. Several years ago, I watched a special on the Palestinians, and they interviewed several moderately high-level leaders in the Palestinian government, and they made the comment to a T, to each one of them, that they would be willing to fall under somebody's rulership, and it doesn't matter who, as long as their people could have an equal vote with the Israelis. Come on in. Somebody... Yes, right. yes, yes, right. one state, but it doesn't even, they were commenting, it doesn't even need to be our person. We'll follow someone who gives us an equal vote, which is very interesting in light of Bible prophecy. So watch Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Watch yes. Jerusalem. It's been a good very show. Much. It's been a good show. I want to thank all of you for joining us. We had, uh, I think this was a record show as far as uh, uh, people watching, so please share it with your friends. Please come back next uh, next Thursday at uh, three o'clock. Any questions? Uh, I I think we do have a few questions. We we are planning on doing a question and answer show, by the way. Okay. So submit some questions on Facebook, and thanks for mentioning that because uh, we we need, it's time to do another another question and answer show. Mm -hmm. Good. So uh, thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next time.